0: and start shopping at business.walmart.com that's business.walmart.com from the MGMA in-home studios welcome to the insights podcast I'm Daniel Williams
1: obviously the pandemic is something no one expected and no one no one wants to be a part of but If there's any silver lining, it's that hopefully we're giving the healthcare industry a kick in the butt to do what we needed to have been doing 10 years ago.
0: That's Steve McMillan on healthcare shift to a digital and patient-centric approach. We'll hear more from Steve and Dr. Brian Bocek on how effective leadership and change management drive patient access improvements. But first, a word from our sponsors. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost, the CareCredit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures at locations in the CareCredit network. Payment flexibility is increasingly important as patients may face economic and health concerns in light of the coronavirus pandemic. With promotional financing for purchases of $200 or more, Cardholders can move forward with the care they need and want today and make monthly payments over time. For healthcare providers navigating financial and operational challenges resulting from the pandemic, Care Credit can help reduce time and effort devoted to billing and collections while increasing patient satisfaction. Accepting Care Credit as a payment option is easy and quick, and you receive payment within two business days. Care Credit currently has over 11 million cardholders and is accepted in more than 240,000 locations nationwide. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. Are you looking to simplify your uniform program? Scrub in Uniforms is a national healthcare uniform company that is partnered with MGMA to offer members a customized program full of tremendous benefits. scrub strives to make uniform ordering as simple as possible for all organizations, large or small. With features like custom ordering portals, a voucher program, painless return policies, and unmatched customer service, scrub makes ordering new uniforms the easiest task on your to-do list and at pricing that's easy on your budget. Learn more and contact them today at mgma.scrubin.com to experience the Scrub-In difference. Patient access improvements have been a priority for medical practices long before the COVID-19 pandemic. Patients have become increasingly savvy about how they access care and providers have in turn become increasingly focused on meeting those modern expectations. Here today are Steve McMillan and Dr. Brian Bacek, who will be co-presenting a session on Advancing Patient Access Through Leadership and Change Management at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Conference in October. Steve is a Senior Manager for ECG Management Consultants, and Dr. Bacek is Medical Director of the UC Health Patient Line as well as the associate vice chair for clinical affairs in the department of family medicine at the university of colorado denver school of medicine steve dr Bacek, thanks so much for joining us today
1: thanks for having us we're excited to to be on this fantastic
0: now a lot of our conversation today is it's going to focus on making patient access improvements Um, I want to talk to both of you here uh, and get an idea of what patient access looks like right now. I know with COVID-19, there's been a lot of impediments to patient access with virtual care taking center stage in many cases. So walk us through there. What is patient access like now for you guys?
2: You know, um, patient access has changed quite a bit. It's Seems like it's been a moving target over the last several months, obviously, because the way that we used to see patients has disappeared. Now we're trying to figure out what our new normal is. There, we know that there's been this increased demand for telehealth brought on by the need to stay at home, brought on by um, a simmering desire from patients that existed before this crisis to have some sort of telehealth option available. We are finding that as people start to reemerge a little bit, there's still value in the continuity relationship that they have in the primary care and specialty setting, and they are wanting those in-person in-person visits. Uh, patients are, around access are also seeking to make sure that they have a safe environment in which to to receive care, and so for me in our organization at University of Colorado Health, it. Uh, our conversations have centered around how to balance all of those competing priorities uh, while reassuring patients and making sure that we have the, the access that's needed uh, when the playing field has changed so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Dr. Bociek. Um Now, I want to return t- here to the basics, really the root of this discussion, we're going to look at patient access. We're going to look at it from some different angles here. So what are some of the key indicators then um, that would signal that a practice needs their patient access to, to ratchet up and find some improvements?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think when we're looking at patient access, whether it's in the middle of a pandemic or not, we're always looking at are we getting the appointment at the right time when the patient wants it? with the right provider um, and where the patient wants to be seen. I think now more than ever, it's that last question is really important of what medium and where the patient should be seen. Um, So I think that medical groups more than ever should be looking beyond those pretty standard access KPIs. You know, what's your time to third appointment or what's your, average time to appointment, are you answering the phone, things like that, but it should be more of a conversation with your consumers or your patients to say, are we providing you healthcare in the way that you want it provided, right? So some patients still need to be seen every week, every month, every quarter, what have you, um, but they can't go in physically. So you know as a as a system, as a, a country, we need to be looking at are we providing that access to care in terms of modalities, in terms of communication, in terms of timing um, that the patient needs to stay healthy? So that doesn't necessarily mean we need to have every patient be seen within 48 hours, but that might be that might mean we need Dr. Boczek to be able to, answered questions uh, via his chatting app every day or be able to be on demand for video um, a few times a week and with his partners have daily coverage Um, whether it's the weekend or the night I think I think there are um, more opportunities than we had before to say you know access isn't good because we're not fulfilling the patient's needs. Okay, thanks for that,
0: Steve. Um, Now, we were all talking offline. You guys had asked, um, who is the audience here? Who is the audience of this MGMA Insights podcast? And I was telling you from the feedback that we get, it really is those uh, practice administrators, those practice leaders, other people who are involved in a medical practice, in in a medical group. Um, We also have some people from hospitals as well. Um, And the feedback that they give us is they want to know the application of things so they can implement that into their practice. So what are those first steps that they need to be looking at, that they need to be taking um, so they can implement these uh, patient access initiatives?
2: You know, I I think when you're talking about uh, patient access and 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 striving towards some new change new normal you're often talking about culture change and you're moving from where you've been to where you need to be and so i think whether you're at the small practice level or a, a system level there are certain things that are important one of those is uh, arriving at a common goal and a common definition of what access means to the either the practice or the system uh, because uh, access can mean different things even within the same practice depending on which providers you you ask uh, about their definition of, of access or which administrators you ask. And, and I think that in starting embarking on that journey of culture change, that's a really important step. I think that you have to be prepared either at the practice or system level to resource a few things that we know are really important for it. Um, right sizing access and creating this culture change. One of those is an investment in uh, technology, which makes sense. There are a lot of things that you can accomplish around access through innovative technology, but also tried and true technology. Just in investing in moving a, a, a particular practice from a switchboard style telephone portal, and and those do exist, I've seen them, uh, moving them towards a uh, a cloud-based technology platform can be really transformative. You also need to invest in leadership because all of the bells and whistles don't really mean very much if they're not assembled together in the right way. And that takes a commitment to resourcing Uh, in investing in leadership, in people who have experience from a variety of areas that can come together to move that culture change. And and tying back to what Steve said, I think uh, the third component of of really working towards access is the commitment to make this patient-centered. Because I think that we're trying to meet patients where they're at. And many of our our old legacy approaches towards access uh, were not patient-focused when they were put into place. And because they weren't patient-focused, their irrelevance compounds over time. So what may have seemed like a good idea to do 10 years ago to meet some administrative requirement really had no basis in uh, patient grounding and now is horribly out of touch. And all of that has to be relooked at.
1: Yeah, I I think when, when you talk about resources, we definitely, you know, at ECG, we get a call a lot that says our access is bad, help us improve it. And I think most people know the basic solutions to improve your access, but it's the health systems that are willing to um, commit culturally and to some extent financially to actually improve that access. There, There is, there can be an, uh, an ROI associated to improve access, but more than anything, you have to commit to the fact that you are improving the consumer experience. And I think that's something that UC Health was upfront about right away. They said, you know, we will, we will build these um, centers and these processes that we need to build to improve patient access, but also they got behind it culturally um, to get their their management, their doctors, their staff behind this idea of improving access. And... It really showed right away.
0: Yeah. um, Thanks for that. And I I wanted to go back to something that Dr. Dr. said earlier. Talked about the leadership element. Um, You guys are co-presenting in October at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference. Your session is called "Advancing Patient Access Through Leadership and Change Management." So you're really hitting on those key issues there of. What's a leader? Uh, How do we navigate and manage through change management? Want to talk about that a little bit then, get you guys to elaborate elaborate on that. What role does leadership play? Uh, What role does change management play in in sort of alleviating the issues, some of the worries that physicians may have right now uh, in regarding change?
2: you know i I think that leadership and change management uh intersect with culture change in a in a really important way and i can use i i think of organizations as existing both in a steady state and in crisis mode and we've seen that uh with covid nineteen with the covid nineteen pandemic and at its the most basic level uh you need the leadership and change management experience to move things slowly along during your steady state, uh, where you can make incremental and sustained change uh, by demonstrating uh, the need for change commitment. And you also, that leadership and change management experience is very important in a crisis because people are looking to leaders to understand the direction that they, the the actions that they should take. And I think having that leadership component out there to to increase some adaptive flexibility is really important. In chronic steady state, there's something uh, that I like to call regression to the mean, which uh, in culture change means that people will, uh, may go along for a while with the change, but they start to move back towards their old habits. And so through leadership and change management, you move the folks farther along than they were before. In a crisis mode, there's something I call the normalcy bias. I didn't invent the term, but this normalcy bias, I think is really uh, illustrative on how people respond to crises. Sometimes things happen so bad, such as in COVID-19, and so much change is required that people have a really tough time either figuring out if they should do something and if they know that they should do something, they're unsure what to do. And they, they tend to believe because they've never experienced anything like this before that things are not quite as bad as it seems there's rather than regression to the mean it's a regression to normalcy. It's that's so far out of my, uh, what I can conceive of. Uh, I, I, Really, not supposed to stay in my house for three months? That doesn't make any sense. It can't be that bad. And so organizations go through that as well. Uh, and I think you, you spoke about the, the role of, say, providers in an organization where physicians are struggling with where to be at any one point in time. Uh, and I think the role of leaders and change management when dealing with uh, providers in an organization, uh, their main function in that is listening. You have to uh, providers, physicians want to be heard, uh, and they need to know that the investments that they've made over in many cases, years, on behalf of their patients have that that those investments have meant something, and you're not changing things because what they did was bad. You're changing things because you you want to build on their successes. That they've already had uh, in, in with a, in a more patient-focused manner, and you're trying to so you want to bring them along uh, and partner with them, and and I think that that's something that uh, leadership, in, as a part of change management, uh, is, is if you're able to focus on that, I think that that's a, a really key thing to to keep in mind as you make as you go through changes.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you then. Dr. Boczek. You used the terms, I wrote these down, regression to the mean, normalcy bias. You had built out some different studies of of how things project. So we had this crisis situation that you were talking about, COVID-19. This is just your opinion here, but have people responded in the way you thought they would uh, in this crisis situation? Have you been surprised by anything? What, what is your reaction to the way people have dealt
2: with uh, this pandemic? You know, I, I, that's a really interesting question. I think, uh, I mean, people are, people are people, people are funny and they don't always uh, <laughs> respond rationally, but by and large, I think that with for our patients that I've interacted with, most of them have responded about the way I would have expected, which is initially fearful, hunkering down, and looking to trusted sources for information. And that's where the healthcare system comes in. I had mentioned earlier that it it's really important uh, when you look at access in the new era to think about patient safety. How do you reassure patients? How do you get them the information they need? And I would say in provider you know, the providers and administrative staff and organizations uh, respond uh, in our organization, they've done very well. Uh, we were really adaptive uh, in trying to reinvent healthcare care, uh, you know in a period of about three weeks. Uh, and so I think it's been extremely stressful for people, but it's made me feel, better about all of the energy that people had put in over the years because I think it it helped them respond better during this crisis.
0: Sure and it's as as you guys know uh, the medical world is quote evidence-based and so you can always when you have a patient come in you can diagnose them and then point to well this is what the evidence says and in so many cases with COVID-19 we've seen this even from the CDC and WHO and everywhere else. We're giving you the best information we have, but there are, there are some limits to what we know here. So we're in, and that's why there, I think there was a lot of confusion at times because we would be told this up to a point and then something else would emerge The more information would emerge. Um, and then those answers might change. So. Uh, I I'm with you though uh doctor that um I I have been uh uh very uh, felt very good about human resolve and the way that uh, not only healthcare workers but just people in ge- general have dealt with this if we were all told uh 5 months ago that hey guys you're going to you're not going to leave your house for a couple of months here how, how are you going to handle that I I I think we would all uh uh, been very quizzical about that type of a statement, and not really been sure. But when you're forced into it, then you you just deal with it, and, and I think that's what people have done in a very positive way for the most part. Um, I want to get into a case study here because part of what your session is going to deal with involves a case study at the University of Colorado Health implementation of a contact center and the role of a physician access leader. Could you guys walk us through that, what that case study looked like, and uh,
1: what it revealed to you? Definitely. Yeah, rewind about four years ago, and ECG and operations leadership at at UC Health um, partnered up and um, made a strategic plan and a timeline to say, you know, we have lots of decentralized and semi centralized services here, and it's not. Providing a single consumer experience um, and it's not helping access whatsoever. Um, so, we want to build something that our entire health system can um, build upon and can provide a single um, positive consumer experience. So, um, what UC Health ended up doing was building a single contact center um, that served all of its primary care practices um, across. Um, the whole front range of Colorado, plus some practices up in Wyoming, um, as well as some specialty care as well. And they provided um, phone call answering um, for all calls um, with extended hours, um, nurse triage advice, prescription refills, and referral management. Um, state of, It had state-of-the-art technology, um, and it had a, a really robust Leadership um, structure and process management structure such that they could always be improving. And I think the, the key takeaway, and the reason that, that Brian and I have stayed in touch this whole time, was that the, what, what made that so different than the other contact centers that we've built as ECG was that right away we identified that we needed strong physician leadership embedded in the contact center that could represent the physicians so that the contact center could be um, helpful for the physicians and representative of the the physicians rather than just kind of thrown at the physicians. And so Dr. Bacek and his counterpart um, went on a statewide tour and went practice to practice all 50 plus practices and sat down with all of the physicians um, and talked about what does this mean for you? What are your concerns? What is going to work? What's not going to work? And every week would bring them back to us and bring them back to the development team. And we built workflows that were patient centric, but the providers agreed would be good for the patients and good for the workflow. And that leadership that the medical um, leaders brought was so important to build this contact center that I mean, it's knocking all the service levels out of the park, but more importantly, it also has been a foundation to build this nurse triage line that's now a great response to the COVID um, pandemic. It's built a a center that they've been able to build more and more services upon um, and and utilize more and more and has been the entry point to UC Health. Um, And so I, I think really most of that credit goes to Dr. Bacek and his counterpart, um, and it was really a testament to say, if you have a strong physician leadership team, everything else will follow. But if, if you can't get your physicians to buy in, you're going to have a hard time pushing forward these difficult initiatives. Yeah, Sure.
0: Thanks for that, Steve. That, that really knitted together the leadership aspect of that. As we were talking earlier, there's that change management piece of it as well. So Let's talk about that then. Let's look at it um, from the change management side. How crucial is it to have those change management tactics or strategies in place to be able to facilitate the improvements that the, the leaders are, are in there putting in place?
2: You know, I think uh, as you, you think about change management, Uh, it's so complex. I have to get a a lot of credit to our our contact center leadership, our vice president, and the folks that are in that leadership group. And and although some of the people have come and gone, it's been a really uh, engaged and collaborative working environment for uh, myself and my physician colleagues to work within. And I, I think the key for us has been, as part of this change management strategy, or strategy and, and, and having physician leadership is that we've been part of the leadership team. We haven't just been a champion. We haven't just been a quote, a consultant. We're, we're embedded in attend in, in many of the, the contact center, the operational leadership management um, meetings and have helped them make decisions. Uh, I think that uh, when they've asked for our input, they've said that it's been really helpful. I think that when you're moving for change management, you, you have to create the, there's the power of why, which uh, mo- many people have been exposed to that Ted talk. Uh, and I think creating a vision is really important. You, you, you can't just identify changes that are made, tell people it will be a good idea, and then have them move towards it. They need a reason for, for, for moving in a different direction. Uh, it is, inertia is a, is a tough thing to overcome. And in many of the current practices that people may have in place around access or their practice environment are, were put there for really good reasons. And in some cases, they were put there to, uh, to uh, protect patients or on behalf of patients uh, to address system inefficiencies at the time. So you have to move folks along by giving them a vision and illustrating how what you're doing now is different than everything else that they've been told before, and you you. When they can start to see positive changes made and results, then you you gain credibility. You have to have an engaged uh, group of people participating in a change, and creating that engagement requires some deliberate effort, uh, and it re, it often requires a prolonged effort. I think in in some of the uh, some educational sessions that I've been to on culture change, they've I've heard uh, the the opinion that you know it takes about a year for somebody to move along for about every 500 people. So if you've got a large organization, uh, it, it I think the point of that is that it takes can take years to move a, a large change forward, and so it's unreasonable to expect it to occur in in, in more quickly than that. And also, I'm aware that organizations, uh, other healthcare organizations, in some cases have spent way longer than we did in trying to, to gain physician engagement and, and years in the making, deliberate effort, deliberate, you know, budgeting just for engagement and culture change. And so balancing all that, I think, is a, a real challenge, but if done in the right way, moves you forward to where you need to be. Uh, communication is important in in metrics. Along the way, you need to collect metrics about what you're doing, and celebrate the wins, and use that as an as a way to inform future uh, challenges. You don't uh, you don't even know what you don't know. We knew, for example, when we put in T1 lines and started centralizing the the way that we answered calls, um, our system we were taking in a thousand more calls a day right off the bat than our system numbers would suggest in aggregate that they had predicted. And that was because the technology jump allowed a greater incoming uh, amount of incoming calls. That was not information that was on anybody's radar uh, of something that we would expect when we flip the switch and turn the technology on. And I think it, it goes back to the importance of data collection and knowing where you are so you can figure out uh, where you know, if you've actually moved to a different place or not.
0: Mm -hmm. You mentioned something interesting there. You said that some practices have taken, I guess, years to implement these changes. Um, You know, we don't want to take shortcuts, but at the same time, what have you found then through your case study, through all of your research and the data to help some of those practices shorten that timeline so it, it, it doesn't take full years to make this cultural change or is it is it possible to do
2: that it is and i'll i'll let steve's got a lot of experience with this and watching organizations move uh try and move quickly i I think that a lot of how fast you can move forward ties back to vision it ties back to shared goals communication and uh leadership that that's actually And intention. And that's probably more important than sometimes than the technology or the other bells and whistles. I think that organizations who don't set up a good foundational structure, whatever that means for them, will in the end take longer to go through change management and culture change than if they had put some deliberative thought into it for the at the beginning. Steve. Uh, what has your experience been in watching organizations try and accelerate the process of change and uh, culture change and change management?
1: Yeah, you, you nailed it. It's d- d- Are you putting forward the resources and the vision right away? And I, I think when we see it not work, it's because uh, organizations are thinking of a contact center or any sort of access initiative as a band-aid to fix a problem rather than a foundation for um, engaged consumers and um, improved operations. And so those are the organizations that aren't willing to dedicate the resources, dedicate the time, dedicate the leadership. Um, And so they're trying to take that shortcut. And like you said, Brian, it usually takes longer and it it doesn't work out as well.
0: Okay. Um I want to look at an, another application here because we've all been talking about covid nineteen the unique situation it's been the the crisis type situation that it's been so how can practice administrators healthcare mm-hmm. leaders take some of the foundational lessons that you're talking about here today and uh, in your presentation and really put that into uh, an action plan to help them through responses such as COVID-19?
2: I think that the foundational elements are really important in uh, dealing with any kind of a crisis because the the strong foundational elements create a a, a flexible adaptability. uh, And some of those things that I think uh, it's not that you need the whole package before you can successfully deal with a crisis. If, if you develop a good leadership team and a vision about where you want to be, that helps keep you pointed in the right direction even during a crisis. If you have invested in some incremental change along the way, uh, you, you've tackled, let's say template, uh, building templates in, in, in a way that are more patient focused and, and that integrate well with your, the, your technology platform, then you can leverage that in a crisis, uh, and so I, I think the a couple of fatal flaws would include either uh, failing to invest initially in some of the the foundational work, or uh, being um, overwhelmed and not not really moving forward on any one project because it, your people may be letting uh, perfect be the enemy of the good, and and I think so you, by you incrementally. Putting down foundational pieces, you really enhance your uh, capacity to for for a crisis. The other thing I would just include is that um, when you're when you're in a crisis mode and you're and you're trying to uh, respond appropriately, one of the things that we've learned is, is that with strong leadership, uh, you're able to act more quickly. There's the uh, you know I'm a I'm an Army veteran, and and there's the the phrase that sometimes we would throw around, which is when in doubt, do something. And so I think that that's a really good leadership principle. Right. This is a world pandemic. This is a once in a more than a hundred year event. This is terrible. Um, it is time to dust off some adaptive leadership skills and, and help give people a point of direction forward because it's needed. It's not business as usual. And, I think if you've, got, if you've established yourself around a good leadership team and that you work well with and you've got good foundational elements, you're more, you're more easily able to be reactive. And, I, and Steve, I just to turn it over to you to say, you know, hey, that's been my experience here. And I don't know what else you've seen with some of the other organizations that you deal with. Uh, through this crisis, yeah,
1: I mean, strong leadership is always going to be number one. The the organizations we've worked with that have the stronger leadership were able to adapt to this change quicker. Operationally, what we have noticed is those who have centralized services set up and running well were able to adapt to this within days or weeks, and those who didn't took more like weeks to months. And it's it's so hard to get you know, 60, 100, 200 practices to all be on the same page with practices and protocols and technology to adapt to something crazy like this. Whereas, you know, UC Health, you guys got together and we said, okay, what's our contact center going to do? And, and you, you started doing that in February, um, way before anyone else did. Um, and so I think it's, it's just yet another burning platform for there is a lot of good that can come from centralization. It's a scary thing. It can be an expensive thing, but I think it's becoming a new normal in healthcare. And it's something that when done right and done thoughtfully can help with things like this tremendously.
0: Okay, thanks for that. And I wanted to offer another resource to our listeners. Steve, um, you recently co-wrote an MGMA Insight article it's titled, balancing the supply and demand of patient access. Um, give us a summary of that. What was that article about? What, uh, you know, what was it like putting that together?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I co-authored it with a couple of really smart people from Rush University, uh, Sarah Turley and Michelle Hirschman. And um, we've been thinking about access for, you know, almost a decade now. And and what it comes down to is you can come up with a million and a half metrics and. Ways to measure access, but at the end of the day, access is a matter of supply and demand. Um, what are your providers supplying you in terms of times and appointments available, and what's the demand? How many unique appointment requests are out there, and are you in equilibrium? Is your is your supply not meeting your demand, and patients are waiting and calling and calling, or is is the demand just not there and you have um, providers um, just sitting there um, not earning their rbu targets and so the piece looks at what to do in each scenario and how to tell where you are how to tell what your demand is what your supply is um, and how to look at that um, not only retroactively but but proactively so you can say hey it looks like we're going to have a surge and we probably need to work on on our supply so we can meet this demand that's coming up. Um, it's just a different way of looking at access rather than your traditional metrics. Um, I, I think it turned out to be a pretty interesting read and we're going to be expanding upon it and looking um, even more closely at each of those scenarios of, of when supply and demand aren't equivalent.
0: Okay, well thank you for that. Um, and i wanted to look at uh something else that you concluded there that your research uh showed that uh practices kind of fall into three different categories um, do you see one category that's sort of uh, emerging out of uh this covid-19 pandemic is there any anything there that you uh has been revealed there
1: man i think I think day to day, at least, especially in March and April, that answer um, would change. It, it was swinging from from empty practices of no one no one getting healthcare unless you were bleeding out to long wait lists. And and right now, it feels like we're in this period of, um, depending on where you are in the country, um, there people are ready to get back into healthcare and some practices, some health systems have this pent up demand and the same amount of supply in their providers, if not less, if not fewer providers. And all of a sudden, if, if you had to wait a week for an appointment, you might be waiting multiple weeks. Um, so, I mean, this is, it's the time to try out these access initiatives that Everyone knows what they are but sometimes it's hard to actually implement them. So you know, it, it's time to think about Saturday hours. It's time to think about expanding your digital health and making it permanent. Most people have expanded it, but is it tempor- temporary for the pandemic or are we going to make it a mainstay of healthcare? I hope it becomes a mainstay, but I think I think what we've learned from COVID is we need to be a lot more adaptable. Um when it comes to patient access, so I don't really have an answer to to is is uh, is access improving or or getting worse, but I know it's all over the place, and it's a day to day reaction Dr. Boci in your practice, have you seen it what is it looking like in Colorado?
2: you know it it is it's it's been crazy I mean looking at some numbers, you know our system in February did it i mean we had a, a an infinitesimally small number of telehealth visits that we completed and then in um gosh uh since the beginning of march we've completed 131,000 telehealth visits uh yeah and that was unseen and unpredictable uh 6 months ago i think that We're trying right now to balance what this new normal looks like. We have patients who definitely want some telemedicine telemedicine visits, and uh, we also have folks that wanna get into the practice, as you you say, and trying to figure out uh, where we meet them. There are things that we used to do uh, that maybe they don't need an in-person visit, but uh, certainly there are some things that would seem like they would always require an in-person visit and we're still trying to tease that out and my understanding from talking to other uh to leaders in other systems is they're at the same point it's a it's a slippery footing right now because you're not really sure where the demand uh needle falls
0: yeah i I, do either of you have any final thoughts we've been talking a lot about patient access about leadership about change management and uh wanted you each to just take a moment to provide some final thoughts here. Um, who wants to start there
2: I, I can jump in i I would say from my uh, my perspective and, and our lessons learned, uh, I think cultivating excellence, which is is our goal in, in being patient focused requires uh, requires preparation it requires deliberate uh, structure uh, requires some uh, one to create a foundation for a future change. and uh, and and that requires investment. And so, whether a practice is small or large, I, I think that c- coming up with that vision of uh, of of where you need to go is really important, and then deciding what you're capable of investing is also a good and necessary second step prior to the purchase of any transformative technology prior to uh appointing uh someone to lead the effort you know there has to be some organizational buy-in or you just won't move forward
1: okay thank you and steve what what final thoughts do you have for our audience yeah I, i mean what i keep coming back to is obviously the pandemic is something no one expected and no one no one wants to be a part of but If there's any silver lining, it's that hopefully we're giving the healthcare industry a kick in the butt to do what we needed to have been doing 10 years ago. And um, to see all these health systems moving to digital health, moving to an access approach, moving to a patient-centric approach, and getting the right people in the room to make the decisions um, has been a really, really cool thing to see. And... I am feeling cautiously optimistic that those things will stay um, a part of our system, um, of our industry, and that we'll see more people um, like Dr. Boczek and more organizations like UC Health that are patient first, um, access oriented, and have these centralized services um, and just access oriented services that can serve the patients the way that they, they need to be served.
0: Steve, Dr. Boczek, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing these thoughts on leadership, change management, patient access. These are top of mind right now and and very much needed, as you were both saying. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's
2: been a pleasure. Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Care Credit and Scrub-In Uniforms for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about how Care Credit is helping providers deliver a better patient financial experience, visit carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. To streamline your uniform program and experience the Scrub-In difference, visit mgma.scrubin.com. Also, thanks to our guests, Steve McMillan and Dr. Brian Bocek. You can hear them speak at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Conference, October 18th through 21st. For more information or to register, visit mgma.com mpec. You can read Steve's MGMA Insights article on balancing the supply and demand of patient access at mgma.com. To keep up with the latest regarding the pandemic, be sure to visit mgma.com covid. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe
2: and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member learn more at mgma.com/membership thanks
0: the popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is ai but what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage when it comes to improving margins accelerating cash flow and optimizing staff performance there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics mgma analytics today.